0: Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawassasi, and I am your host for the FACT Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am FACT's vice president of community relations. Before we start today, I would just like to take a moment to thank the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology for their kind sponsorship of Facts Roundtable podcast. And please note that today's guest was not sponsored by the college or compensated in any way by the sponsor to participate in this specific podcast. Today, we're exploring how misinformation impacts social media and how you can avoid pitfalls and discover tips on finding medically vetted information with board certified allergist and social media guru, Dr. Dave Stukas. Welcome, Dr. Dave, back to the Facts Roundtable podcast. We're absolutely honored to have you back on the show again, sharing your wisdom and your humor and your just wonderful personality.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I mean, I can listen to these amazing compliments all day, but no, it's a pleasure to be here. It's great to be back.
0: Wonderful. We're going to dive right in. You are commonly known as a social media guru. So can you share with our listeners your medical background and then how you earned such an interesting title?
1: Well, I don't know if I would agree with that, but I'm happy to share sort of my background on how I got to where I am at this time. As you know, I'm a pediatric allergist, immunologist, and I have an even higher specialized focus on food allergy. But about nine or 10 years ago, I got involved in social media. And the reason I got involved in the first place was because of all the misconceptions I kept hearing from families uh, and also just the, the reasons for referral to come see me. And I couldn't understand why people were sending me to you know see children with egg allergy to get the flu vaccine when we knew it was very safe at the time and it continues to be safe. That started me down the path of trying to understand the origins of these misconceptions. And it was actually my brother-in-law who said, you know, Dave, you should take all the work you're doing on research and things like that and apply it to social media, and you should join Twitter. And this was, I think, 2013, and I said, what the heck is Twitter? And then I I looked into it, and I said, you know what, I think there might be something here. So that's where I personally got involved. And I first got involved in social media, now I'm I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at AllergyKidsDoc. What I do is essentially what I started with is I I try my best to provide evidence-based information, combat misinformation, provide vetted resources for people to, to trust and follow. But then I applied my whole academic background. So when you go into allergy and immunology, you can go into private practice and see patients out in your own office in the community, or you can work at academic medical institutions. And I work at a pediatric hospital. What I do with my career is I do research and quality improvement, and I do my best to truly understand the world that we live in and try to apply that to what we do and then disseminate information. So I took the same approach to social media. And that started me on the path of we wrote a textbook a couple of years ago. We developed elective curriculum at our medical school. So every month we have students and even residents and fellows in training come rotate with us where we teach them best practices. I've held presentations and workshops and national meetings. Just I love it. I think it's an important part to help educate all of our colleagues about the importance of using social media and proper ways to do that.
0: Well, I'm a follower, actually for years, I didn't realize it's been that long. But I am a, a follower. and one thing I notice is you do a lot of myth busting. So can you talk to our listeners a little bit about those posts that you really break up some data?
1: Yeah. It's just common things that people hold very true to their hearts of this is the way I believe the world to be. And sometimes it's complete myths or misconceptions. So I just try to expose that and, but also give the reason why. And it's a fascinating thing, Caroline. I've learned people really hold on to these myths and misconceptions as part of their identity. And when you start myth busting, you can make people feel pretty uncomfortable Uh, along the lines of, oh, by the way, 10% of people believe they have a penicillin allergy because they were told that. But 95% of those same people aren't actually, allergic to penicillin. And then there's people that hear that and they say, wait a minute, I've been avoiding penicillin my whole life. And some random guy on Twitter is now saying that's not the case. So I try to provide context. I try to provide more information, but it's great. And I get a very favorable response. I just posted this week, actually a wonderful follow-up. Somebody sent me a private message and said, thanks to your post. I went and got evaluated. It turns out I'm not allergic to penicillin. I'm currently pregnant. This is going to be really important for me. So thank you.
0: That is fabulous. And for listeners, I'll put in the show notes all of Dr. Dave's handles so you can follow him. He's really fun to follow. I'm biased, but you'll really enjoy it.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And then, you know, we have to warn everybody, as you know, every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern time, I post a really bad joke of the week. And I've done this every single Friday for the last nine years. And I try my best. I think I've only repeated a handful, maybe. It's getting really bad, really, really bad.
0: I love them. Are you kidding? I live for bad jokes and I live for Friday. Okay. I recommend to everyone, you have to pop onto Twitter on Friday. You just simply must. And then you can let us know what you think about it.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: Very fun. So now let's talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly sides of social media. So many of us scroll for what feels like just minutes, but it's actually been hours per week. But from the medical perspective, what are the benefits and the downsides of social media like? Is social media worth the time when looking for food allergy information?
1: Yeah, I think it's important. And this is a big focus of mine as well, especially during the pandemic where I, just like everybody else, I caught, it's called doom scrolling. You just scroll and scroll and scroll and you can't put your phone down. And next thing you know, you're like, why am I looking at this at 1130 at night? I should be going to bed. And social media has fundamentally changed the way we interact with one another as human beings. It's also fundamentally changed the way that information is shared. And prior to social media, we really had time to digest the information we were receiving. You know, We had our local newspapers, we had our national newspapers, we had the various newscasts or cable news or things like that, but it wasn't like breaking news all day, every day. And that's what everything is now. So I think that there's a lot of good that can come from social media and sharing information, but there's a lot of bad as well, because all of the wrong information circulates much faster than the good stuff. So now we, as really much as consumers of information, essentially, we have to do our best to learn critical thinking skills to identify the bad information and how to trust the good information before we you know, even think about applying that to our own lives.
0: Thank you. I know it can get a little confusing too. I'll jump into bed and I'll start reading and then I'll grab my phone and then all of a sudden it's 40 minutes later and I have no idea where I've been and what I've done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that social media does is it creates this false equivalence. Everybody has an account. Everybody has a voice. And there's a misconception that large numbers of followers, they have more influence. And some people feel that if you have a million followers, that means that you must know what you're talking about when it may just be a celebrity or somebody else. So everybody's chiming in with medical information these days. And there's a lot of personal stories and anecdotes that sort of gain a lot of attention and and more traction. They get shared more widely. So if I'm posting information as a medical professional and somebody out there has no no expertise whatsoever and they're posting information that is completely different from mine and they happen to have a million followers, a lot of people are going to be more likely to believe them than they are me. And that's a real problem. So we have to address that and understand that as well.
0: That is a real big challenge. So diving actually deeper onto that topic, how does misinformation on social media impact a patient or a caregiver? And then how do we avoid those pitfalls of the bad posts? So just like you're mentioning someone with a million followers, how do we vet this out? What do we do so we don't get sucked in?
1: I think the most important thing that I can suggest to your listeners is just because you happen to read something on social media doesn't mean you have to change anything in your life. There's all these cognitive biases that impact how we navigate the world we live in, and one of them is called recency bias. Just because you saw that scary headline it doesn't mean that your risk has changed at all. And I see this every day in the office. I ask families, I always ask them, you know, have you changed anything in regards to your travel or dining out or social activities in regards to food allergies since I last saw you? And every once in a while, they'll kind of get real quiet and they'll say, well, yes, we no longer go out to restaurants. And I say, oh my gosh, well, what happened? Did you have a reaction? Well, no, we didn't have a reaction, but we happened to watch this documentary that talked about fatality because they didn't declare their allergy or something like that. So now we no longer eat out. And I say, wow, that's a really powerful thing for you to say, but that has no impact on you. That's not your story. That's not your expected outcome. And just because you happen to watch that documentary doesn't change anything about your actual medical condition. So I really can't impress enough upon your listeners about how important that is. It's just because you happen to scroll across something. And the second thing is, the more emotions that it generates in you, I think the more we need to take a step back and think about how real that is. There's really catchy headlines, there's catchy stories. Food allergy related fatalities are so tragic. You know, when they occur, these stories circulate across the world like wildfire, especially in the food allergy community. But that really gives a false perception of what the risk is because we only see a dozen or so fatalities from food allergy a year. When these stories circulate and we don't see stories about five million children with peanut allergy who successfully went to school, that day and had no reactions at all, it gives this false balance. And if you read something and you get really upset about it, take note of that. I try to do that now as well, especially with all the COVID information of, I have colleagues out there and I follow lots of medical professionals and there's extremists on both ends. So if I read something like, oh my gosh, that's absurd. I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do I think that? What's going on here? The truth often lies in the middle.
0: Excellent advice. Really precise. You mentioned recency bias. Can you explain that term a little more?
1: Our minds are programmed to weigh information differently, and we tend to put lower emphasis on prior experiences or information. So if we read something 10 years ago, we're likely going to forget it. But if I read something today, just because I happen to read it today and it's recently input into my brain, my brain says, this must be really important. Well, what if what I read today is just one small piece of information and there's a million pieces of information that actually refutes what I read today? My brain is still going to weigh this information more heavily because I just recently read it
0: thank you very much for that clarity. Staying focused on the posts. What steps can a listener take if they believe a post actually has bad information? Should they try to report the post, contact the poster, or even post questions right in the thread to the poster about the statement?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, don't share it. If you think it's bad information, uh, one, you know, acknowledge that and say, okay, this is really bad stuff. Uh, and two, don't spread it. Don't give it any fuel. With social media, it's interesting. I get a lot of requests. People reach out to me, oh, Dave, combat this, combat that, combat this. And I, I take time. I look at all of them and I look at the account that's sharing it and I say, they have 25 followers. I'm not going to even address this. Why would I amplify their voice? It's going to die. It's irrelevant. Nobody's ever going to listen to this. And the more you keep it out there, the more fuel you're giving to it. So a lot of this stuff you can just ignore and it goes away. Uh, But there are very prominent, you know, even physicians and and medical professionals putting out bad information as well. So you could comment to them, you could report them along those lines, or you could better yet combat it by sharing good information. And we can spend all day chasing our tails, trying to track down all the bad stuff. But at the end of the day, let's control what we can control. I can't control the, (laughs) you know, billion Facebook accounts or whatever it may be, but I can control what I put out there.
0: Absolutely. So now can you share ways with us on how to use social media to learn about food allergies and then how to find those vetted organizations or people to follow how to find that good data?
1: Yeah, I think there's many great ways to use social media for food allergy. One is through support. So there's wonderful communities out there of support networks where people are sharing, you know, recipes and and some tips on food allergen avoidance. But I do recommend a word of caution because there's also a lot of folks in these groups that are actually giving medical advice and they're actually operating according to outdated non evidence based information. And that can really raise anxiety. So if you have a lot of anxiety surrounding food allergies and you go to a group of very highly anxious people, they're gonna raise your anxiety level. And a lot of the families I meet in the office when I talk about social media, i say 95% of them say, oh, I don't do that. I used to be on there, but it made me nervous. So I got rid of it uh, and they're better off for it. So that, I think there's a good and a bad to consider with those communities. The other thing is uh, you can look at for vetted medical professionals. So there are you know dozens of allergists and immunologists and other medical professionals putting out good quality advice. There's advocacy organizations such as yours, which are wonderful for, for giving great information. There's the professional organizations like the American Academy and the American College of Allergy, Asthma and Immunology. So they're the really good advocacy and professional organizations that, put out vetted evidence-based information that you can trust. Uh, And I would definitely start by following them and looking at their information. And then if you come across something, you're not quite sure what to believe, you know, research it. See if you can vet that. Uh, Are you finding that you look at this information and then everything else that you find is corroborating it? Okay, maybe we can trust that. But you have to do some homework, unfortunately.
0: And on that homework, you mentioned evidence-based information. Can you go into more detail on what that is for our listeners?
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there. There's a lot of anecdotes and and personal anecdotes are not evidence. It's one person's story. And they often don't, you know, they omit very key pieces of information that would allow anybody to say, does your story apply to my story? So when we talk about evidence-based information, that really means that ideally peer-reviewed publications where it undergoes the proper rigor and they have the scientific methodology to conduct some sort of experiment or look at a hypothesis, find information and then publish it. And when they publish it, it undergoes peer review, which, really looks at limitations and it cleans things up a little bit because sometimes people tend to overemphasize the results. We see a lot of sort of abstracts from professional meetings and preprint publications and things like that shared wide and far because they're headline grabbers. But those haven't gone through the actual process of saying, wait a minute, is this legitimate science? Can we trust this data? So the the ultimate is, you know, did this end up in one of you know the vetted medical journals? And with that, it gets even more difficult because now we have these open access journals where people can pay to publish whatever they want. I get solicitations 20 times a day. They say, oh, Dr. Stukas, would you mind, you know, submitting your great work to blah, blah, blah. And by the way, it'll be three thousand dollars and we'll gladly publish this. So that's a big no-no. So that's really confusing if you're trying to figure this out. When we think about the evidence-based information, the advocacy organizations and the professional organizations are unlikely going to post information or advice on their websites or on social media accounts unless it's gone through this sort of rigorous scientific process.
0: It can really be confusing and it can really be a minefield. So I really appreciate you trying to help us break this down because like you were saying, you get on there and it looks like it's a legit research paper, or it looks like a legit post, but then actually you find out it really isn't. So now looking at you specifically as a medical professional, are medical professionals held to a different standard than the average social media user?
1: I sure hope so. I mean, this is me, and I'm vetted by my hospital, my institution. I'm not just representing myself. I am representing my institution that I work for. I'm representing the specialty of allergy immunology at large, as well as the professional organizations for which I have various appointments. So I try my absolute best to make sure I'm putting out good information and putting links to solid information as well. When it is my opinion, I will state as such, because sometimes it is in my experience. And you know, I have that. I have 15 years of clinical experience of treating patients with allergic conditions. So I think that counts for something as well, but I have to frame it in that context context. So yeah, I think you need to hold medical professionals to a different standard. Now, unfortunately, this has been in existence for years. There are some medical professionals that take advantage of that trust and they will, you know, they'll sell products and services and try to make money off of using their background to promote non-evidence-based testing or treatments or things like that. So we have to be wary of that as well. It really is the wild, wild west out there. And then one last thing. I hope everybody is well aware of the algorithms that are put in place on social media channels and how every time we click on something, it learns from that behavior. So all of a sudden, over time, all these different sites learn what we like to do, what grabs our attention, and they will drive content to support that. So my experience on Twitter is different than your experience on Twitter, even if we put in the same search terms and things like that. Same thing with Google and other common search engines. So be mindful of that because this is how echo chambers are formed. We all have confirmation bias. We want to believe that our beliefs are true and that the world we live in is how we see it. And when we're confronted with information that counters that, even if it's the most powerful evidence-based information in the world, we're reluctant to accept that. Nobody wants to believe that they're wrong. Uh, So that's confirmation bias. So we are more likely going to seek out information that really gives us that comfort that says, yeah, I knew it. I was right all along. And then you're going to ignore all the other stuff. It's complicated. It's something what we're going through right now. And it is a, a very grand experiment. I don't know where we come out on the other end, but we're all living it right now. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, at least we're in it together, right?
1: Yeah. I, I Recently, we watched the Matrix trilogy in preparation for the fourth movie that just came out. Oh my gosh. I mean, this was 20 years ago, but wow, they were like spot on. We are living in the Matrix. I mean, Facebook rebranded themselves Meta. That's what they're trying to do. And that's what we are right now. We're buried in our phones. We're buried in this this world that is... Not real reality. It's virtual reality where we're living. And wow, we just need to to fully understand what's going on here so we can all navigate it properly.
0: That is the key right there. Really being conscious and intentional and knowing what you're doing, what you're in, and then dialing it back to find that beautiful balance and going back to your doctor. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I see on social media or what I read anywhere. I still have to go back to my doctor because I'm a unique person with a unique condition with all these other factors laying in there. So it's still all just rolls right back in
1: yes thank you for saying that what warms my heart more than anything is when people will comment to me on social media they will say thank you for sharing this I went to my doctor to ask them about this and they said X Y and Z based upon the information you provided that is the perfect relationship I can't give you individual medical advice on Twitter or Instagram although people ask me every day please don't send me pictures of your rashes I don't want to see that <laughs> but you know the ideal relationship here is here's some good evidence-based information or thoughts to consider you go to your personal doctor talk about it with them see if this applies to you at all and if this changes anything. That's what I'm trying to do here.
0: Well, we appreciate it. So before we wrap up today, is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners? No, I appreciate
1: the opportunity to be here. And for what it's worth, I've struggled, you know, what we're going through during this pandemic is not okay. It's so hard and especially with social media and all the information and misinformation and we don't know who to believe and there's very strong opinions on both ends. And we've really, as a society, gone into a dark place where people are yelling at each other and not listening. It's okay to have different opinions. It's okay to have a conversation about things. But, you know, if you're going to do that, then back it up with some sort of evidence or, or something that supports that. As much as possible, let's listen to one another and see if we can learn from one another.
0: Beautiful. Well, there we have the wise words from Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for your time today. We always appreciate you being on the show, and we just appreciate you taking your time to really make the world better. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Before we wrap up today, I would just like to say thank you to the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology for their kind sponsorship of the Fact Roundtable podcast and for their support over the years. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.